Hey, thanks for tuning into this podcast. We would love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. We encourage you to send us your story by visiting our new website at wearefreedomlife.com. Welcome to Freedom. Good morning, good morning. How you doing today? You doing good. I'm doing well. Uh, we, we did have a great night last night, and uh, I'm excited to be with you again. I was here about a year and a half ago in the spring of 2017, and uh, Pastor Tony and I, we do go way back. Uh, somehow he kept his hair, and I was not as fortunate, um, but you know, that they say that God only made a few perfect heads and everyone else got hair, right, my brother? I love your haircut over there. Looking good, looking good. And uh, so excited to be with you this morning. And uh, my wife was able to be with me last night. She drove down. We, we currently live in the Poconos, so we're just about 90 minutes from here. So she drove down, was a part of the service last night. And then got a flat tire on the way home and sat in the car for two hours waiting for help. So I felt like such a terrible husband. But there was just, uh, I had some friends that went and helped her. But my wife, Julie, and I have been married for 22 years next month. 22 years next month. Yeah. And, um, so it, it's, uh, it's been a wild ride. Tony and I go way back, uh, all the way before we even started having kids. I got three kids, uh, 19, 16 and 13. So, uh, yeah, you pray for us. If you think about that and, uh, I, you know, that I, I did student ministry for a long time. I was a student pastor for a long time. So sometimes people ask me, Hey, do you ever miss doing youth ministry? I'm like, I'm not out of it yet. Like I do it every day of my life. Like I'm, I am still doing it. So we are a family of five and two crazy dogs. All my dog lovers represent real quick. All my, yeah, there they are, right? Here we go. If you know me, you know I love dogs. I love big dogs, though. Big dogs. Big dogs. If your dog's under 50 pounds, that's not a dog. I don't know what you got. And, uh, but uh, that, that's our, our crazy family. It's good. And uh, uh, two years ago, my wife and I launched out, and we started a ministry called Lead the Generation. And uh, we partner with churches. We partner with Youth pastors, we partner with parents of teenagers, all in the goal to help them pass their faith on to the next generation, right? I believe the next generation is worth almost everything we got in the church today. If we, if we miss out on passing our faith to the next generation, we've missed everything. And uh, so one preacher said it like this, and I believe it. He said, the greatest thing you ever do for the kingdom of God is not a what you will do, but it's a who you will raise up. And so I believe as a church, uh, as men and women of God in church or as parents uh, of young kids all the way through teenagers, it is our number one mission in life to effectively pass our faith on to the next generation, to raise up the next generation of leaders for the church world as well as for the marketplace. And so that's what my wife and I do through a lot of traveling and speaking and training and coaching uh, and conferences that we do. And uh, if you want to find out a little bit more information about Lead the Generation, stop by our ministry table. It's out there in the foyer. You can pick up one of our prayer cards. We would covet your prayers as uh, we're doing what we're doing right now. And uh, we would just love for you to partner with us in prayer. And I, I also have a bunch of different ministry products out there on the table. And uh, if you want to get something, we got all from, we got t-shirts, we got hats, we got bracelets, we got a bunch of different stuff that you might be interested in. And most of it is themed around uh, the topic of your life groups that you're just starting here at the church, Psalm 23. In fact, I'll give you a little sample here real quick, right? I got my, I brought my Psalm 23 t-shirt with me today. There it is. That's pretty good looking, right? Psalm 23, right? Some of you are like, oh, that's LeBron's number. Yeah. Oh no, it's, it's, it's actually Psalm 23, right? And it's got all of the words of Psalm 23 in there. And, uh, so just as a gift, here you go. You just have that right there. There you go. Sorry. That's what happens when you sit in the front row at church, you get free stuff when you sit in the front row. And, um, uh, which is good. And I, I know that you're using the book uh, that, that uh, we uh, wrote and released early this year. I'm so honored by that. And, uh, and so if you haven't signed up for life groups yet, today's really going to be uh, just kind of, I'm going to do a little talk about Psalm 23 today and, and maybe kind of like spur your interest in this passage of scripture. I think it's, it's the most universally recognized passage of scripture. You know, you see it on almost every hospital waiting room wall. You see it in funeral homes. You, you know, you see the reference to it everywhere. But sometimes when we get too familiar with something, it loses its value or its meaning to us. Right. And so that, that was really the kind of the nature of the book that we wrote. So if you didn't pick up one of the books, don't go to my table, go to the table in the back here. The church has a bunch of copies of the book. Um, and so you can pick up a copy of the book. You can sign up for a life group and uh, you can just kind of be a part of this journey that freedom life is going through in life groups. And if you really are just crazy, diehard Psalm 23 fan, and you want to go real deep, maybe even a little deeper than the book, uh, you can stop by 
our ministry table. So I have these little cards and it's a download card. So you buy the card on the back of it. There's a website that gives you a unique uh, URL and you go to the website and it lets you download five different sermons that I have preached in various locations on Psalm 23. And so it'll kind of give you more of a preacher view of it as opposed to the author view of it in a book. And so these are available on the table and you can uh, pick one of those up, purchase one of those, and that will help support our ministry, right? So when I, when I grew up, I grew up as a, a PK. Anyone, everyone know what a PK is? PK, pastor's kid, pastor's kid. Okay. I grew up as a PK and, um, um, f- had two older sisters. So I was the baby of the family, all the babies of the family. Rep- yep. Babies of the family. Cool. Um, you know, you shaking, I, this guy's shaking his head over here. Come on, man. I liked your haircut a minute ago. You know, uh, I believe the Bible says the babies of the family are the best members of the family, the most blessed members of the family, the ones who have the most honor and favor, the most uh, smart, most smart of the family. That, that, right? Okay, prove myself wrong right there, right there. And uh, I don't have a verse for that, by the way. Don't, don't even try to look it up. But I was a baby of the family, and so I was so – I had two older sisters. I was super competitive. And um, so my, my little Christian school – they decided to do this competition. It was, uh, have you ever did, maybe you did this in school. It was the egg drop competition. Anybody ever do this in school? You, they, okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so you take the, the straw, uh, which are now are legal in the state of California, I think, but we don't live there, right? You take the straws and you take masking tape and you make some sort of contraption to protect an egg that when you drop the egg off of the top of a ladder or like something, then the, if, if the egg breaks, then you lose. If, if it doesn't break, you win. And so, I'm like, man, I got to win this. Like, I, I'm like, I, I got to prove to my sisters how smart I am. And I, I was 11 years old. And um, so I'm doing this thing. And so my, my dad, uh, he, he was taking the masking tape because the rule said that the, the tape could only be a quarter inch uh, wide. And we had half inch tape. And so he was cutting the, the tape while it was on the roll so that when I peeled it off, it would be the right size. And so every day he'd cut some tape, I'd use it. And we just kind of do this pattern over and over and over again. Right. And so the one night he cut some tape. And when he said to me, he said, when I'm done, uh, when you're done using the tape for tonight, then you can't, we're done. You're just going to have to wait till the next day. I don't trust you with a knife. And I was 11 years old. I was kind of offended. Like, well, you won't trust me with a knife. Like, come on, my lab. I was a Royal Ranger in our youth. You know what Royal Rangers is? That's a Christian Boy Scout thing, right? I'm like, I can do this. And so he left. I ran out of tape. And of course, you know what I did. I, I just, I, I grabbed the roll of tape. I'm like, I can do this. I watched him. I can do this. And so I'm kind of working. I'm kind of working the knife. I'm working the tape. And uh, is everyone okay with stories that don't really end well? Because uh, we, we that's where we're going. That's where, that's where we're going right now. Okay. So if you just grab your neighbor's hand, if you need a little support right now, right? Okay. So, so I'm kind of, so the knife, the knife slips and it, and it slices me across the top of my thumb, but it's, it's bad. It's like, it's bed's really, really bad. And I'm 11. And so I'm, I freak out and I, I grab it and I start holding it and I'm, I'm screaming like a little girl now. I'm like, Oh my God. And I'm in the basement of my house and I go running upstairs and I'm holding my thumb like this. I'm like, Oh my gosh. And my mom is in the kitchen and she's doing uh, some dishes or something. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, mom, I'm so sorry, mom. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And she's like, what? I'm like, I broke the rules. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to break the rules. She has no idea what's going on right now because she can't see anything. Cause I'm holding it like this. And I don't realize as an 11 year old, I don't realize how bad the cut is. And I also don't realize how badly it's bleeding. And I also don't realize it because I'm holding my hands like this. Everything's staying like in the hands there. And she's like, what did you do? And I'm like, look. And it's just like, just everywhere. Just, just like, like crime scene investigation in our kitchen. I mean, and, and so mom, mom was a great mom, but mom wasn't so good with situations like this. And so she starts to, whoo, she's breathing like heavy. And, and my, my oldest sister jumps in and grabs my mom and they're like breathing in a paper bag off in the side room somewhere. And, uh, my middle sister who we didn't, at that point, we didn't really get along too well. My middle sister grabs like a dirty dish rag and throws it on my thumb. It's just probably why I'm weird to this day. I don't know. And I'm, I'm sitting in the corner of the kitchen and I got this thing all wrapped up and, and I'm crying and screaming. And remember I said I was a PK. And so when you're a pastor's kid, like uh, pastor, we're just kind of weird. Like we just are, I'm sorry. Don't nod your head. Yes. Just, just okay. Oh, that's why. Okay. You can, we're, we are, we're kind of weird. Like, like we're almost as weird as homeschoolers, but not that weird, but we're close. Um, no offense. I used to homeschool my kids. Okay. Um, and so, so, but like, like, this is what I'm saying. I just, instead of like a normal kid who would just yell and scream, this is what I'm, re- I'm yelling to my sister. Read Psalm 23, read Psalm 23, read. And, and, and it's like, I thought I was going to die, man. I'm like, I'm just like, life is almost over. 
And I knew as a PK that you read Psalm 23 at the funeral. And I'm just thinking, I need to hear it before it's over. (laughs) And so she's like scrambling through the Bible trying to find it. I start yelling at her, why don't you have it memorized? Because I'm thinking like you're a PK, right? And uh, it was, I was, I'm a mess. I'm a mess. And I I looked at at one point, freaked me out. I saw way too much of me that I ever wanted to see. Like, and then, and then at one point uh, I thought to myself, maybe it's not as bad. And so I decided I would try to bend it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just, well, I just, when you pull a rubber band back too far and it snapped, yeah, that was my tendon. It just, it was, I'm just, I'm sorry. Okay. Okay. We'll move on. We'll move on. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm free. So here's how the story ends. Here's how the story ends. I obviously end up, um, you know, in, in a hospital and in surgery and, and my dad being with me the whole time. So that's kind of like the first ending of the story. Here's the second ending of the story, right? This one's even better. So like, like 10 years later, I'm in college now. I, I, um, I met my wife, Julie, in college. We both went to Valley Forge Christian College, now, now the University of Valley Forge. And it, it is our senior year in college. And uh, we had just started dating. And, um, and so I'm sitting there one night. We're sitting in, like, one of the co-ed lounges at school. And I, I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm holding her hand. I'm holding her, her left hand. And I'm just, you know, kind of holding her hand. And, we, you know, and so, so I look, and the, she's got this really crazy scar on the top of her left thumb. And I'm like, oh. And then this is what I'm thinking. I'm like, oh, that's kind of weird. Because I'm thinking, I got a scar on my left thumb, you know. And so I'm like, I said to her, so I'm like, Jewel, I said, how you got like that really weird scar on your thumb? She's like, I'm like, where's that from? And she said, she said, oh, she's like, I never told you the story. I'm like, what story? She said, oh, she's like, I cut my thumb really bad once. I'm like, really? <laughs> and and she, I'm like, and she's like, yeah, it was terrible. I'm like, tell me more. Right. And so she tells me this whole story. Right. And, 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 and this is what I'm thinking. And she, she almost the exact same thing happened to her. Right. This is what I'm thinking. Cause I'm thinking like, she got a scar in her thumb. I got a scar in my thumb. I'm thinking soulmate. Like, I'm like, I'm like, the God's like bringing this. I'm just, if you're single and in the room today and you're dating someone and you got matching scars, it might be a sign. I'm, I'm not saying based like your marriage on that, but like it might be like God might be bringing it together. Right. But, but since I was 11, like I, I just had like this thing with Psalm 23 and all throughout my life, I've all, I've just been drawn back to it. Probably the same way that many of you have been where, when you were first introduced to this passage of scripture in whatever the context or the story was, hopefully it wasn't as graphic as mine, but you know, in, in whatever context you were introduced to it, you know, it's kind of like, oh, it just, it grips you in a certain way. And so as a kid, Psalm 23, and then as I was growing through college and trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life, so coming back to Psalm 23. And then, you know, uh, when my wife and I were having kids in between our second and third uh, child, my w- wife had a miscarriage. Psalm 23, just coming, coming back in that season of grieving that we went through many years ago. And, and then years ago, about three or so years ago, we started making a transition from the church where we were doing ministry to what we're doing now. And again, it was Psalm 20, just coming back over and over and over again. So, so let's do this this morning, right? Grab your Bible or grab your phone and open it up to Psalm 23. And I know you're going to be studying this together as a life group. And I think life groups probably just started last week, right? And as Pastor Tony mentioned, it's not too late for you to jump on board. If, 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 you, uh, if you, you didn't sign up for one, you go to the table in the back of the auditorium, the sanctuary here, and, and sign up for a group that works best for you, for your location, and for the time that you're available. Maybe you pick up a copy of the book. Um, if, you, if you like the Kindle version, you can get that on Amazon. And let's just talk for a couple minutes Psalm 23. Can we do that together? All right, everyone look at your neighbor say, Neighbor? Neighbor, come on, say neighbor. You look good today. Yeah, 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 yeah. Psalm 23, Psalm 23. Let me read it for you. I'm sure that most of you already kind of know it, but if you don't know it, that's okay. You're going you're gonna to get a good overview of it today. So here's what it says. The Lord is my shepherd, verse 1. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Say that with me. For you are with me. Say that again. For you are with me. Actually, the number Psalm 20, the number 23 actually means with me. Uh, if you, if you go into like the Bible numerology of what different numbers mean, the number Psalm 23 actually means with me. It's kind of interesting. We talk about it a little bit in the book. I know you thought it meant LeBron James, the greatest player of all time. I know that you thought it meant that all you Michael Jordan fans are mad at me right now. It's okay. It's okay. Well, we can still be friends, right? Um, but it actually means with me. Now let, let's read on here. He says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love, or maybe your translation says goodness and mercy, will follow me all the days of my life. And say this last part with me. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Psalm 23. We know that David wrote it. We know that David, when he was a teenager, when he was a little uh, like 14, 13, 12 year old, he was actually a shepherd. He was the baby of the family, right? There it is again. I'm telling you, the Bible says a lot about the babies of the family. Uh, He was the baby of the family. And we know that David wrote it. I would suggest to you that of the 116 words in Psalm 23, depending on what translation you're reading it from, of the 116 words of the six verses in Psalm 23, the most important two words of the entire psalm are the first two words, the Lord. Say it with me, the Lord. See, David here is making a declaration. He wants everybody to know who his shepherd is. Everybody has a shepherd. You have a shepherd. I got a shepherd. Everyone's got a shepherd. David had a shepherd. David said, I want everyone to know that the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord, not just a title, but a name. The name of God himself. Translated from Hebrew, the word Yahweh, into English, the word Lord, used over 5,000 times in the Old Testament. Almost every time in the Old Testament you see the word Lord, it's God's personal name that he gave to his people and to you and I. And he said, I am the Lord, or I am Yahweh. So, so David's basically saying, listen, I'm on a first name basis with the God of the universe. It's not just a title. It's not just a deity. It's not just someone out there that I've heard about or that I've read about or that I heard a song about or sang a song about. It's, it's the Lord. It's my, it's, it's God. And I have the personal name. You're, you and I are on a first name basis with God himself. Did you know that? God says, you don't have to refer to me as a title. You can refer to me as Yahweh, my personal name. David says, I want everyone to know that Yahweh is my shepherd. Now, this is interesting, actually, because David used to always be in the position of being a shepherd, right? He was, he was the shepherd in their sheep. But David basically said, I want everyone to know that the Lord is my shepherd. So David is taking the position of what? Not the shepherd, but the sheep. Yeah. And, 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 and when he says it, especially if you get into like, like the depth of the Hebrew in the name Yahweh, when, when David says, the Lord is my shepherd, he's kind of bragging about it. He's kind of saying, listen, I want everyone to know who my shepherd is. Uh, a couple years ago, I, I had a dream, right? I, I grew up my whole life playing basketball, uh, junior high, high school, college, right? So love the sport, coached the sport many years my, for my son during his teenage years. And um, so I had this dream, and in my dream, someone had given me court-side tickets to watch LeBron James, Right? Now, it was just a dream, but I'm hoping, Tony, I'm hoping one day someone's going to actually be a prophetic dream, right? I'm hoping someone's going to do that for me, right? So someone had given me courtside tickets, and there I am in my dream, and I'm watching, and I'm like, I'm like, there he is. Like, wow, this is amazing. And, and, and I recognize that someone on the other team is someone that I know. Again, this is just a dream. And, uh, and, but it's this kid named Justin, and Justin was a kid in our youth ministry, and Justin was a cool kid, and I, and he was, but he couldn't play basketball. He was actually ter- totally non-athletic. You know what I'm saying? You know the kind of people, like really nice person, not coordinated, can't walk and chew gum at the same time type person. Right? Okay. So, so J- Justin's out there, and he's playing NBA basketball for the other team. I, and I, I, got, I got mad, and this, I'm thinking to myself, are you kidding me? I'm like, if, if, if he can make the NBA, then why am I not in the NBA? And as dreams go, all of a sudden, I'm now playing, and I'm like, this is awesome. But I'm not on Justin's team. You know whose team I'm on. I'm on LeBron's team. Because it's my dream. So if it's going to be my dream, I'm going to put myself on whatever team I want to be on. And I'm on LeBron's team. And so now I'm out there playing and LeBron passed me the ball. You know what I did with the ball? I passed it right back to him. Because I'm thinking any smart player would know, pass the ball to LeBron. And that's what I did. But I didn't care. Because all that mattered to me was I'm on LeBron's team. You know, I'm, I'm waving at cameras. Look at me, mom. Look at him, mom. And, and in my mind, LeBron just, he wasn't my teammate. He was the teammate and the captain and the assistant coach and the coach and the general manager and the owner of the stadium and the commissioner of the NBA. He was everything. That's the same spirit in which David is talking when he says, I want everyone to know the Lord is my shepherd. And because the Lord is my shepherd, I've got it so good in my life. He finishes it out and he says this, I shall not be in want. He's basically saying, I have experienced a level of utter contentment that no one could ever experience unless you've chosen the Lord to be your shepherd. So here's the question. Who's your shepherd? 
Everybody's got a shepherd. Who's your shepherd? David wanted everyone to know that the Lord was his shepherd. Who's your shepherd? Is it the Lord? Is it your job? Is it your paycheck? Is it your, is it your position or, your, or the promotion that you're trying to get? Is it a relationship? For some of you, your shepherd is your feelings. It's your emotion. For some of you, your shepherd is your anger. You've been so mad about what happened in your past, you, can't even, you, can't, you couldn't even spend a day without being mad about something. In fact, if you forgot what you were mad about, you'd find something else to be mad about because you're just used to always being mad about something. See, everybody's got a shepherd. For some people, your shepherd, is, it's your phone, right? It's the screen that you stare out every day of your life. For some people, your shepherd, it, you know, is your activities or your entertainment or, or the newest Netflix binging. Everybody has a shepherd. David said, listen, I want everyone to know, I, I want to serve notice to everyone out there. The Lord is my shepherd, Yahweh. The one who is and is and is to come. He's my shepherd. And because he's my shepherd, I'm good. Whatever life throws at me, I'm good. Let, let me translate that for you real quick. David's basically saying this. He's saying, until you want Jesus more than what you want Jesus to do for you, you'll never really understand who Jesus is. David's basically saying, listen, until Jesus is all that you need, no person, place, or thing will ever satisfy you. You've got to basically say, you know what, Jesus is my shepherd. Now, see, here, here's a lot of confusion about Psalm 23, because at this point, when David is writing this, most people think that because David grew up as a shepherd, that probably he was like, you know, he wrote this when he was a teenager. So he's like a little kid, and he's out there, he's like, he's like getting ready for fine arts, right? And he's like, I'm going to do songwriting category this year, and I'm going to write a song about, about being sheep or being a shepherd. And he writes the song, and he's like, whoa, this is amazing. Like, this is going to blow Taylor Swift's royalty rates out of the water right now. Like, this is incredible. But scholars will tell you that David didn't write Psalm 23 when he was a teenager. And then some people have come along and they suggested that David wrote it when he was a king. And so David is like living palace life. He is rolling. He's got servants. He's got people bringing him food. Snap his fingers. There's there's everything he needs. But then scholars will come along and say, no, 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 no. David didn't write Psalm 23 when he was at the zenith of his reign as a king. Most scholars believe that David wrote the words of Psalm 23 towards the very end of his life, towards the end of his life when he was on the run for his life from his son Absalom. Absalom, who was going to be heir to the throne. Absalom, who David was going to hand the kingship to in just a couple years. Absalom, who grew impatient and decided, I'll take it by force put an army around himself, and then drove his father out of the palace, out of the capital city of Jerusalem, into the hills, into the mountains, into some of the same caves that David had once spent most of his life in when he was on the run from King Saul. And it's in that context that David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I'm good. I got all I'm ever going to need. That just kind of changes the whole thing now, doesn't it? Because David's not in a good place in his life when he writes this. David's actually in probably one of the most painful, hurtful, and dark seasons of his life. A more difficult place than he could have ever imagined being. And it's in that context that David says this. If you choose the Lord as your shepherd, then you've got everything that you're ever going to need. You don't need anything else. See, the depth of it now. We get so familiar with this. Oh, the Lord's my shepherd. I'm just a little sheep. Ah, It's so nice. Who wants to be a sheep, by the way? I mean, like, could we be like, let's not, like, what high school team chooses sheep as their mascot? It's embarrassing. I mean, like, I want to be a lion or a tiger or a bear. Oh, my. Right? I'm like, I want to be like something. Like, I don't want to be sheep. But David's basically like, no, no, no. I take the position of the sheep because, because when I allow the Lord to take the position of the shepherd, what, what does this mean? And this is what all of Psalm 23 basically tells us. When the Lord is your shepherd, here's what it means. He's going to lead you. He's going to guide you. He's going to provide for you. He's going to protect you. His presence is going to be with you. His rod will be with you, which is representative of the word of God. His staff will be with you, which is representative of the presence of God in your life. He'll anoint you. He'll bring you to a table of blessing and to a table of provision. He'll track you down with his goodness and mercy. Can you get a better deal? Everybody chooses a shepherd in their life. Who's yours? Has anyone offered you what the Lord has offered you just in the context of Psalm 23? I think not. David says, I want everyone to know the Lord is my shepherd. Now let's go on to verse 2. We spent a little bit more time there. We'll roll through these next one a little bit faster. Verse 2, he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He makes me 
lie down in green pastures. That makes sense. The you know, sheep had to lie down. And where did they lie down? And they lie down in green pastures, which is kind of cool. Um, what, do you know what sheep eat for breakfast? Grass. They're sleeping in their breakfast. Listen, this is the equivalent of you and I like sleeping in a sleeping bag made out of bacon. I mean, you just wake up and you're like, oh, this is good. Like this is, they're, they're sleeping, they're resting. They're resting in the provision that God has provided for them. Or they're resting in the provision that the shepherd has led them into. Now, now this is interesting because he's basically saying they, he makes me lie down. I, we, we talked about this a little bit last night. It was kind of funny. I said, you know, like God is the God of the nap. He wants people to take naps. He wants people to rest. And there's a lot of good naps out there, right? Post Thanksgiving dinner nap. That's a good nap. Come on. That you wake up and see the Cowboys lost again. That's a good nap. Yeah, I'm from Pittsburgh. So even, even Steelers and Eagles fans, even we can even we can unite on this fact right here, right? You know, Eagles are not, it's not that great of a season. That's why you should come to church tonight. It's probably, probably, you know, I don't just saying, I'm just, okay. That's my plug for coming to church tonight. Right? But, here, but here's what a shepherd, here's what a shepherd knew. He knew that sheep were stubborn and obstinate, much like you and I. And, and that the shepherd knew you couldn't actually physically make sheep lie down. Like you couldn't like grab them and push them down from their back and say lie down. It's kind of like if you are a, a dog owner, like a real dog owner, a big dog owner, then you know you can't just take that dog and push him down. He's, he looks at you like, what, what are you doing? Get your hands off me. What's wrong with you? Okay, I, I'll, I'll, lie, I'll lay down and let you rub my belly when I want you to do that. But not, okay. But you can't make, so shepherds didn't actually physically try to make the sheep lie down. Now, here's the difference. You got to understand this. This is where you got to go read Shepherding for Dummies 101 and you'll figure this out, right? Okay. The, the shepherd didn't make the sheep lie down. The shepherd, listen to the difference. The shepherd didn't make the sheep lie down. The shepherd made it so they could lie down or they made it so that they would lie down. Because if sheep were afraid, or if they were hungry, or if they were bothered by distractions like flies, right? If they had different things that were happening, then they would, they would feel restless and they wouldn't lie down. If they get too afraid, they think there's a predator, they're not going to lie down. Uh, when my wife and I first got married many, many years ago, uh, you know, you're getting used to like married life and you're getting used to sharing a bed and all that stuff. And so uh, for the first couple of years we were married, every once in a while, she'd wake up in the middle of the night and she'd be in a panic. She'd be in a terror. And she'd wake up and I didn't really know what was going on the very first time it happened. I just woke up and, and she's, she's over there on the other side of the bed. And she's like, Jesus, 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 angels, Jesus, angels. And I'm thinking, this is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, oh my God, she's so spiritual. She prays in the middle of the night. I'm like, I'm like I cannot live to this level, Tony. Like I can't, I can't do this. Like I got, and then I realized that she's afraid of something and I'm like, baby, what's wrong? And so the, so she said to me, she's like, there's a man, there's a man, there's a man in the room. I'm like, I know I'm right here. And she's like, no, 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 no. There's another man. And I'm like, why is there another man in our room, baby? Like, this is marriage. That's not the way it's supposed to work. And, and I'm so confused. Then, th- but then I finally, re- when I woke up, I finally realized she thinks there's a man in our house somewhere and she's afraid. And so I now need to be the man and I need to get up and do something about this. And now I'm afraid. So... I grab the sheets and put them over my head. I'm like, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Because <laughs> I'm thinking it worked for her. Like, I'm just going to like, let's try this thing out, right? You know, but see, you, you know what it's like when you're afraid and you can't rest. Like you, you hear some weird noise in your house in the middle of the night. And then you like, you just realize it was the dishwasher going on or something. You're freaking out. Like you're ready to call 911. And it was just your ice machine in your refrigerator making noise, right? But this is the sheep. If they're afraid, they can't rest. If they're hungry, they can't rest. If they're irritated with one another, they can't rest. If they're distracted by all the flies in the mountain air, they can't rest. And this is what the shepherd does. The shepherd makes it so that they can rest. The shepherd deals with the circumstances in such a way that the sheep are basically like, huh, okay, I can finally rest. And what a good shepherd would do is once he got the sheep, all, all kind of settled down and they're kind of, they're kind of all settled down. A good shepherd, he would seat himself or position himself up on a higher level, higher elevation so he could overlook the flock of sheep. And, he, and he'd kind of rest, but he would kind of be attentive to all night long. And then in the middle of the night, if he sensed restlessness in the sheep and he heard them starting to, starting to make noise or starting to get restless, he realized there's something, there's, maybe there's a predator coming or maybe there's some drama going on with the sheep. And so what a good shepherd would do is he would quietly get up from his perch and he would begin to quietly walk through the herd of sheep. And just his mere presence 
And just his scent as a shepherd would make the sheep go, oh, the shepherd's here. It's okay. We can rest. You know, you know what David's really talking about here, especially when you understand the context of what David's going through in his life right now, because he's on the run for his life from Absalom. He's dealing with immense hurt and pain. What David's really talking about here is not really rest as much as he's talking about peace. He's talking about you and I being at a place in our life where we're so content in the care of our shepherd, of Jesus Christ as the shepherd, that, we, that, that no matter what we're facing and no matter what circumstances are going on, no matter what fear or distraction or torment or pain we're experiencing, whenever the shepherd shows up, we're like, oh, Jesus got me. I'm good. And see, we confuse it in our culture today. We think that peace is the absence of problems in our life. Peace is not the absence of your problems. Peace is the presence of your shepherd. Peace is the presence of your Savior. Peace is the presence of the one who calls himself Lord, who calls himself Yahweh, who allowed himself to be put on a first-name basis with you and I, so that no matter what you're facing in life, no matter what dark season you're in, no matter what discouragement you're facing, no matter what is happening in your life that's causing fear or panic or stress or keeping you awake at night, you can rest in the fact that you've made a decision to call the Lord, Yahweh, Jesus Christ, your shepherd. You've made a choice to say, you know what? I'm good. I can go ahead and rest in this moment and go ahead and enjoy the peace and go ahead and enjoy the contentment of having all of my needs met because I know who I filled the blank in with. The Lord was my shepherd. You got to fill in the blank. You got to fill in the blank today. If you're sitting here in the room today, you're sitting here in church today, you're watching online today, and you've not made a decision to say, I want Jesus to be my shepherd. You've got to fill in the blank because if you don't, someone else will or something else will. And then you'll find yourself constantly saying, I need more, I need more, I need more. This is what David's talking about when he goes on and he says this. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. The shepherd wanted to lead the sheep to the right water source because the shepherd knew that sheep needed so much water that they would just drink any old toxic, dirty, disease-filled water that they would find, which is the same thing that you and I do. Whatever I need to do to satisfy myself, Whatever I got to watch on TV, whatever I got to drink, wherever I got to go, whoever I got to hang out with, whatever, whatever I can do to try to satisfy my inner longing or the craving of my soul or emotions, that's what I'll do. Even if it's polluted water source. And, and, and Jesus is teaching us something here through the writing of David in that sheep would always just find themselves attracted to whatever they thought they needed. And, they would go, and the shepherd would protect them. The shepherd would step in and say, no, 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 no. That's not what you really need. That's not what you really need. This is also what David's referring to in verse 3 when he says, He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So you see, what would happen is the sheep would begin to wander because they saw some water source or they saw like some grass over there and the flocks over here. And they're like, oh, there's a little piece of grass over there. And they'd go over there and they'd nibble, nibble, nibble. And then they'd see another piece. And they'd go, oh, there's some over here. And then they'd go, oh, there's some over here. Oh, oh, look, this is really good. And see, they would just keep going. They would, they would, they would wander. They would be led astray. This is what James talks about in the New Testament where he says that you and I are led astray by our own desires, right? That's just, this is what David's referring to. Because as a shepherd, he knew you got to keep an eye on a sheep because they don't understand. They don't understand they're going to be led astray. And so when he says he restores my soul, David is referring to the process of a shepherd finding a cast sheep, finding a sheep that had fallen, finding a sheep that had been led astray from the flock, had fallen on some rocky cliff somewhere or on some mountain pass, had found itself wounded or found it, it's one of its legs stuck in between a couple rocks. And, and the shepherd would know this had happened because either his flock was small enough that he counted them and he knew that one was missing. We were actually singing about that this morning when we sang the song Reckless Love where it said you leave the 99 to find the one. It's a direct reflection on this passage here and also what Jesus said in the New Testament where he said the good shepherd leaves the 99 to go find the one. The shepherd would look to the sky or he would count the flock. If he counted the flock and he was one off, he's no, I got to cast sheep somewhere. I got a sheep that wandered. I got a sheep that needs to be restored. Or if he looked to the sky, he'd see birds of prey circling in the sky, maybe from a distance away. And he'd say, there's a wounded animal. There's a wounded sheep. And he'd get up and he would run and he'd find that sheep. He would search. He would recklessly abandon his post to go find the one who was lost and the one who needed to be restored. Now, here's what he would do. He'd find that sheep. He'd hear him bleeding from a distance. He'd find that sheep. When he found the sheep that was wounded and broken, he'd walk up to it. And, and he's kind of mad. He's kind of exhausted because, you know, the sheep was dumb and they should have stayed in the flock. And so the shepherd's upset. And so the shepherd would come along and he'd take his staff and he'd smack that sheep over the head a couple times. And he'd yell at it and call it a few choice words. And he'd kick it and say, get up and follow me. Let's go. 
Actually, that's not what he did at all. I'm sorry. I, just, I was thinking about a dog I used to own a long time ago. I was just, I got confused. Um, no, no, no. He, he would actually, he'd actually bend down beside the sheep and he would release its, its, its hoof from the rocks and he'd pick the sheep up. And if the sheep couldn't stand on its own, he'd straddle the sheep in between its legs to balance the sheep and he would massage all of its legs and let the blood start to flow again. And if the sheep was too wounded to walk, he'd pick it up and he'd carry it over his shoulder. This is what David is saying when he says, he restores my soul. Translation. Your ability to wonder will never outpace God's ability to pursue you. Your, your ability to find yourself wandering and being led astray by the things that tempt you in life, by the things that distract you in life, by the things that taste so good or look so good from the outside, will never outpace God's ability to pursue you as a shepherd who comes running after you simply to restore you, simply to bring you back, simply to pull you back in and say, no, 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 I'm the shepherd. I'm the one who leads and guides and provides and protects. I'm the one who blesses. I'm the one who anoints. I'm the one who brings you and follows you with your goodness, with goodness and mercy. I'm the one and the only one who can truly restore your soul. And so he picks you and I up in whatever state you're in. And he says, you come back with me. I'm going to set you back on the path of righteousness. Aren't you glad that our God is a God who shepherds us with a restoring love, with a caring love? Aren't you happy that no matter what you face in your life and how many mistakes you've made in the past, you serve a God who says, I chased you down. You know, we we talk about how I found God. You didn't find God. God wasn't lost. He found you. He came after you. He said, you might be sitting here in church for the first time in your life or the first time in weeks or months. And you say, yeah, I came into church today to find God. No, 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 no. God knew exactly where you were going to be. He knew exactly what was going to be going on in your life. He knew exactly what temptations and what things have led you astray. And he said, no, 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 no. I'll restore you. I'll bring you back. One of my theories about David in writing this, because he wrote it at the end of his life, is that every one of these verses, all six of these verses, we kind of unpack it in the book a bit, is that all six of these verses, they, they connect back to a major moment in David's life. I think that verse 3 connects back to 2 Samuel 11, where David went astray in his sin with Bathsheba. Where David wandered away from his job as a king. Instead of wandering out, going out on the battlefield where he should have been, he wandered out onto a balcony. But God restored him. Whatever you're facing today, friend. However far you feel like you've gotten away from God. However far you feel like you're distant in your relationship with God. Know that there's a shepherd, like we sang about, who's recklessly pursuing you, saying, I'll bring you back. I'll bring you back. I'll, I'll, I'll bring you back. It's a, I'll forgive you. I'll pick you up. I'll dust you off. I'll heal your wounds. I'll carry you back. If that's what, I'll bring you back. And someone thank God that we serve a God who says, I always am the God who restores. I'm always the God who loves. I'm the God who forgives, who's longing and looking to forgive. Here we go. Last couple verses. Let's do this one like this. This will, this will make more sense. Can you come here and help me, brother? Come on up here real quick. You got a, a cool flannel shirt on. That's really, really cool. Elijah, can you come here real quick? You're going to help me too. All right. All right. Come on, Elijah. You take that side of the tape measure and just walk over there and just go all the way to the wall. What's your name, bro? Shane. Shane, just take that out to 90 feet. 90 feet. 90 feet. All right. Uh, all right, you know, you're not gonna be able to get, you're gonna have to go down the, down the, yep, you're gonna have to go down. You're, okay, so someone just help them out. Someone, someone come stand right here. Someone come stand right here. Yep, come on, Katie. Come on, Katie. Are you coming? Come on, get up here. Yeah, 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 yeah. 90 feet, 90 feet. Now, Shane, I'm trusting that you know how to use a measuring tape right now. Okay, so, y'all, you're looking for the red numbers. The red numbers are nine and a zero together. They'll be really close together. Okay, so, did you get there? You got to 90 feet. You got to, oh, oh. Now you're getting close. You're getting, you're getting, you're getting really close. Okay. Now, now here we go. Here we go. So this is what we're going to say. We're going to say that, um, that every inch on here represents a month of your life and that every foot on here represents a year of your life. So, uh, Katie, how old are you? You're 12. So if we, if you were going to stand at your age, you'd have to go all the way down here. Right. And if I was going to stand at my age, I'd have to go all the way, way Way back, but we're not going to do. I'm not going to do that. I don't want to embarrass myself that way. I don't want to embarrass myself that way. Now, in Psalm 23, verse four, it says this. It says, "Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are what with me. For you are 
For you are. Yeah, okay. Now, so here's what happens in life. What happens in life is that you and I experience moments in life where we say, man, this is like a dark valley. Like, this is like a really, really dark season. Pastor Tony, would you come, would you come up here real quick? And I don't want you to stand at your age because I just know it's going to be a smaller number than my number. And so I don't want you to do that. What I want you to do, what I want you to do is I want you to find the age that represents what you would consider to be one of the darkest valleys of life that you've ever gone through. And you're not going to talk about it or tell us what it was, but you just, whatever it is, you know, so right now you're 24. Okay. He's, so you're, he's heading back. He's going, well, we're going all the way back to teenage years. Do Okay. You can't go all the way back to zero. That doesn't, it doesn't. Okay. I mean, I know it was dark when you were at zero, but that's a different kind of darkness. It's, yeah, it's real dark, real dark, real dark, real dark. Okay. Okay. So, oh, you're at seven. You're like seven. Wow. Okay. I wasn't expecting that, but I, I didn't tell him he was going to do this. So Tony's standing at seven right now. Now here's, now here's what I could do. I, I could pull every one of you up here and have you stand at a number, either your current age or either the age when you're like, man, this was a dark season in my life. Sociologists say this. They say that if you're in the room here today, and you're under the age of 35, which does not include me, but it includes you, Katie, and it includes you, Elijah, right? If you're under the age of 35, then statistically speaking, you'll probably live to be 90 years old. All the way back there. Everyone look how far this is. Look how far. So, so this tape measure really is a representation of our lives. It's a representation of our lives. Now, now, Tony, when you were seven, you went through a dark season. And so here's what happens. In Psalm 23... When the sheep go through the valley, it's dark. The reason they go through the valley is so they can get to verse number five. Because verse number five says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Shepherds understand that the table is not just a physical table. It's actually a place in the mountain range called the tablelands. The tablelands were a place where the grass was like belly high. It was like belly high alfalfa grass. And the sheep loved to go to the tablelands. The challenge was getting there. You and I love the blessing, don't we? We love the provision of God. We love it when God answers prayer. The challenge is what? getting there because we go through valleys. Sheep couldn't get to the tablelands unless they went through the valley. The reason why David says, you lead me through the valley is because David had been through many valleys in his life. David had fought against Goliath in a valley, a valley called Allah, right? David knew about the valley. David had experienced all kinds of valleys in his life, all kinds of dark moments in his life. Now here's what happens to you and I, and this is what could have happened to you, Pastor Tony. When you were seven years old, you went through a valley. You probably could stand to some other numbers here too that you would also say are valleys. You just happen to choose that one today. You, 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 could, you could probably move around on this thing a couple times and say, this, this was hard, this was hard, this was hard. Anytime you're going through a valley, there's a temptation to say or to think, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this. I, I don't know if I can get to the other side. I don't know if I can get through the valley. Here's what the sheep had to do when they went through the valley. The sheep would get real, real close to their shepherd because the sheep realized he's the only one who's going to get me through this. He's the only one who's going to get me through the dark moment. He's the only one who's going to lead me through it. I like to think of it like this. If Jesus leads you to it, then Jesus will lead you through it. And you've got to understand that when you're in a valley season, the reason you're in a valley season, one of the reasons, it, you, it might have been of your own doing. You might have made some poor churches, choices. You might have wandered, and you need to be restored like verse 3 says. But sometimes you go through a valley simply because your shepherd led you through a, a valley or led you through a giant or, or a, 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 a dark place or led you to face a giant like he did David. Because your shepherd knew that on the other side of that valley, there was immense blessing. The shepherd knew that on the other side of the valley, there was an anointing that will be poured out over you. Like Psalm 23, verse 5 number says, the shepherd knew that on the other side of the valley, the blessing would be so good that your cup would overflow. The shepherd knew that on the other side of the valley, you'd experience a level of goodness and mercy that you couldn't even begin to imagine or describe. The shepherd knows this. Why? Because a good shepherd would have already gone through the valley. He would have prepared some rest places for the sheep. He would have set some provision in place. He would have come along. If the valley for Pastor Tony is at age number seven, then what the good shepherd did, because we understand that God stands outside of time. And God's not looking. God doesn't have to operate in time in a chronological fashion. You and I do. You can only go this way, right? You're not one of those people that can go back and forth, right? Okay, I knew you were like had powers, but I, I wanted to make sure you didn't have those kind of powers because that would be weird. Okay, so so you, you and I can only go this direction, but the shepherd, he, 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 the shepherd, see, this is what this is what you didn't even know that, that God was doing this for you, and you were seven years old. But the shepherd said, "No, no, Tony, I'm gonna I'm gonna put some provision right here, and I'm gonna set some right here for you." 
You know what? I, and you, you prayed a prayer back there, but I'm going to answer it all the way up here. But in order for you to get to the answer to your prayer, what do you got to do? You got to go through the valley. You got to keep moving forward. See, no matter what you're facing in life right now, no matter what you're facing as a church family right now, you, you that are the leaders in this church and the pastors and, and you serve in ministry here, no matter what challenges you're facing as a church, no matter what challenges you're facing as a family, there's always a temptation to get stuck in the valley. There's always a temptation to look at your dark places and say, the valley is going to be my graveyard. I'm not going to make it through this. But if you approach your valley with the same sort of courage and the same sort of faith that David did, especially when he fought against Goliath in 1 Samuel 17, then here's what you realize. The valley is not going to be my graveyard. The valley is just going to be my battlefield. The valley is going to be the place where I square off with my greatest giants in life. The valley is going to be the place where I experience my biggest victories in life. The valley is going to be the place that propels me to the table of blessing that God wants to provide for me. Pastor Tony, if you had gotten stuck in the valley at seven years old, this church wouldn't exist today. Aren't you glad that you had a pastor who didn't get stuck in the valley as a child? Aren't you thankful? Aren't you? Listen, listen, listen. But this, this illustration is not just to encourage your pastor's heart. This illustration is to encourage your heart. Because some of you sit in the room today and you're like, I'm stuck in the valley. I'm so full of hurt right now. I've, my life feels so dark right now. I'm feeling, I'm feeling lonely right now. I'm feeling buried in my valley right now. I came today to tell you that you are not buried in your valley. You're simply planted in your valley. Burial is death. Burial is finality. Burial is no hope. Planted is expectation. Planted is coming back. Planted is not a tomb. It's a garden tomb that resurrecting power brought a savior out of. You're not buried. You're just planted in the valley. And God says you're coming back. You thought it was a setback. It's actually a setup for greater blessing in your life when you fight your way through the giants that you experience in your valley. Don't give up. Some of you tried to get around it. You tried to get a detour around the valley. See, you try to find a way over it. You try to find a way around it. The only way to get through the valley is to go through it. And so for some of you in the room today, that's the word for you today, where God's basically saying to you, no, 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 no. Your shepherd's with you. I'm going to take you through it. And when you get through it, you're going to experience verse five in your life where there's a table of blessing and provision that you never thought would happen in your life. And there's goodness and mercy that tracks you down and follows you. I love it because the shepherd's not just leading you through the valley, Pastor Tony. The shepherd's also backing you up with some goodness and mercy. He's got some spies in your life that are stalking you down. He's got some goodness in life that are simply chasing you down. And if you'll just slow down enough to follow your shepherd, wherever he's leading you at right now, then goodness and mercy catch up with you and you you experience the blessing of Psalm 23 as a guide for your life like you've never known before. You got to fill in the blank. Everyone has a shepherd. Who's yours? Every head bowed, every eye closed across this place. Thanks for the measuring tape. You guys can just drop it right here. Just leave it right there. We'll take care of it in a second. Keyboard player, come on up. Play something softly for us. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You're here in the room today. two invitations. The first, have you made Jesus your shepherd? Everybody has a shepherd. Who's yours? So you might've even grown up in church like I did. And so, 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 you know, in your mind you say, well, Jesus is my shepherd. Of course he is. Of course I've known that. I've done that my whole life. But when you actually assess your life and you assess the way that you live your life, you realize I've, I've, I filled in the blank with some other stuff. I I put some other sources in there that I tried to pull some life from or some satisfaction from. There's some other things that I've done in life. There's some other things I put in the blank that I I tried or I experimented with because I thought it would actually bring me more contentment. Maybe for some of you today, maybe for the very first time ever in your life, maybe for some of you today, it's just a moment of recommitment, but you got to fill in the blank. Now, Jesus says, not just in Psalm 23, but throughout the entirety of the gospel, Jesus says this, I'll be your shepherd. I'll lead you. I'll guide you. I'll provide for you. I'll protect you. I'll be with you in the darkest seasons of your life, in the greatest seasons of your life. 
I provided my word for you, which is symbolic of the word of God. I provided my staff for you, which is symbolic of my presence living inside of you. You don't have to go find the presence of God. The presence of God can live in you as a temple of the Holy Spirit. He says, I'll be with you. I'll provide a table of blessing for you. In the presence of your enemies, you'll know more blessing than what you ever thought you could experience before. I'll give you so much that your cup will overflow. I'll anoint you and empower you to live life in this earth. I'll chase you down with my goodness and mercy. And at the end of your life, I've prepared a place for you to go for all eternity. I ask you one last time, every head bowed, every eye closed. Is there anyone else who's made you a better offer than that? Jesus never promised to make your life perfect. He just promised he'd be with you. Jesus never promised if you pray a simple prayer that he'd make everything go away and all the pain go away. No, he just said, I'll be with you in the darkest moments of your life. There's someone, there's a, there's a man in this room, there's a woman in this room, there's someone watching online right now. You're in one of the darkest seasons of your life and you just needed to know that your shepherd was with you and you need to stop filling in the blank with everything else that you've tried to provide comfort or support in your life and come back to the fact that Jesus is my shepherd. On the count of three, you're here today and you say, Pastor Aaron, Today, I want to make a commitment that Jesus is my shepherd. He's my savior. Today, I want to declare that I believe Jesus died on the cross to forgive me of my sins. In the Old Testament, it was the sheep who laid down their life for the forgiveness of the shepherd's sins. In the New Testament, it was the shepherd who laid down his life so that the sheep could have their sins forgiven. That's why Jesus deserves the title of being the good shepherd. So you're here in the room today and you say, Pastor Aaron, for the very first time, or maybe you just need to recommit, but you say, Pastor Aaron, today I am committing my life to Jesus. I'm filling in the blank and Jesus is going to be my shepherd. I'm not talking to those of you that have been a part of church for a long, long time and you already know that Jesus is your shepherd, but you're in a valley. We're going to come your way in just a second. I'm talking to those of you that maybe are newer to church or maybe you've been around church for a while, but you've never truly surrendered your life to Jesus and called him your shepherd. On the count of three, you say, that's me, Pastor Aaron. I just want you to raise your hand and I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. You just hold it up for just a couple minutes. Every head bowed, every eye closed. On the count of three, you say, that's me. I'm filling in the blank with Jesus today as my shepherd. On the count of three, raise your hand. One, two, three.